take it easy. But take it. Such is the unedifying and not entirely successful strapline of today's movie, a Warwick picture from 1960, Jazz Boat. Hello, it's Matt. And Gavin, from Britpop movies of a certain age, here to discuss the curious mishmash that is Jazz Boat. Although history depicts Britain in the late 1950s as being the era when rock and roll exploded, in truth, the genre was fighting for space in teenagers' musical affections with a number of other forms of music, most of all, jazz. Nice. Wanting an alternative to the smooth, carefully arranged big band sounds of the 40s, jazz musicians split off in two directions. Modernists like Ronnie Scott and Tubby Hayes were pioneering British bebop, but the form that really captured the hearts and moved the feet of the youth was the so-called trad, or revivalist scene. Tapping into the raw excitement of the earliest sounds that emerged from New Orleans at the beginning of the 20th century... Bands led by the likes of Chris Barber, Ken Collier, Humphrey Littleton... And later on, Acker Bilk and Kenny Ball... ...created a uniquely British sound that was reaching a peak of popularity in the very early 60s with the so-called trad boom. And many filmmakers tried to cash in on it. So you'd imagine that at least one of the aforementioned trad bands would feature in Jazz Boat, right? Wrong. The crowds of young people seen jiving in Chislehurst caves and marching onto the titular boat, trumpets and guitars in hand, are clearly invoking the jumper, sandals and duffel coat clad crowds of the sort that marched to Aldermaston. This was a crowd that dug trad and skiffle, but instead they're here given the middle-aged, brew-creamed figure of Ted Heath in his music. No relation to his baton-bashing prime ministerial namesake. This was a fine outfit in its own right and one of the hottest big bands of the post-war era in Britain. But with Heath's exacting discipline and their careful note-for-note arrangements... His featured musicians were obliged to play identical composed solos night after night, Glenn Miller style. They represented the very form of music that both the modernists and the tradders were rebelling against. Ironically, Chris Barber and Kenny Ball were on the boat, but could not be shown due to contractual obligations. Relating the tale of a cocky but honest electrician whose loose tongue gets him caught up with a gang of hoodlums... The film is an odd concoction, broadly a light-hearted crime caper, but with sudden detours into melodrama, serious violence, music, broad comedy and slapstick. The result is a somewhat Frankenstein's monster of a movie, made of disparate parts that is by turns entertaining, highly amusing once or twice, and the next moment head-scratchingly baffling. Warwick Film Productions were the Anglo-American cash cow of Irving Allen and soon-to-be Bond producer Albert Cubby Broccoli, which ran to strict budgets using a stable of contracted British talent, usually attached to an American star. The regulars here include the suitably surly and brooding James Booth as gang leader adjutant Spider, the always excellent Lionel Jeffries, starlet Anne Aubrey, soon to marry actor Darren Nesbitt, comedian Bernie Winters, then on hiatus from his partnership with brother Mike, David Lodge hidden behind thick specks, and its central star, Anthony Newley. It aimed to consolidate the success of another Warwick film, 1959's Idol on Parade, which had propelled Newley to pop stardom and negated the need for an American star in this movie, which would have been very pleasing for Irving Allen and his purse strings. A sequel of sorts the same years in The Nick followed, with Aubrey, Winters and Booth reprising the same characters and Newley in a new role. In between, Newley, Aubrey and Winters made Let's Get Married, so it's fair to say that Warwick were in full bandwagon exploitation mode. The hugely talented Newley, admittedly a Marmite performer, was in a peak period of creative productivity in his career. Shortly after this film's release, 1960 would afford him back-to-back number one singles with Why and Lionel Bart's Do You Mind, which featured in the film Let's Get Married. In 1960, he also co-created and starred in the unique and fabulous cult comedy The Strange World of Gurney Slade, with Eric and Ernie writers Sid Green and Dick Hills, which really is a must-watch for lovers of this era. 
He was at this time one of the most innovative rule-breaking artists on the scene and was shortly, with his great mate, the marvellous Leslie Brickus, about to create two seminal 60s musical stage shows, Stop the World I Want to Get Off and The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd. Those shows which contained standards such as What Kind of Fool Am I, Who Can I Turn To and the much-covered Feeling Good were just the start of a glittering songwriting career. Director Ken Hughes helmed several of Warwick's more acclaimed productions and while he would most famously go on to direct the broccoli-produced children's classic Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Arguably his greatest work would be his gritty 1963 collaboration, again with Newley in a tour de force performance, The Small World of Sammy Lee, a minor classic and shown regularly on Talking Pictures TV. Most of the music in this film, including a bizarre interlude from Spider and his gang, was written by Glaswegian Joe Piano Henderson, who helped launch the music career of Petula Clark. Newley performs his latest single apropos of absolutely nothing in the plot and the music content is completed when French singer Jean-Philippe appears singing his 1959 Eurovision entry wee 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 in full nightclub mode other notable contributors to the movie include Leo McKern in a straight slightly out of place dramatic scene Cinematography by future Bond regular Ted Moore. Assisted by Nick Roig. Writer John Antrobus, who had scripted the earlier Idol on Parade and would go on to a fruitful collaboration with Spike Milligan. Choreography from Lionel Blair, whose sister Joyce appears as Newley's girlfriend Rini. And Canadian actor Al Mulock, who went on to work twice with Sergio Leone before tragically dying on set. A must for Newley fans, this is still a black and white London of bombsites trying to settle on a new Technicolor future but not quite knowing what it should look or sound like. It's a shame that Broccoli played down the Warwick film's output after his acrimonious split with Alan and the success of the Bond series, as there are some excellent movies among them, and we see newly the film star approach the peak of his success. And it's showing only on Talking Pictures TV on Wednesday 15th of July at 11.45am. Until next time, I've been Matt Bragg. And I'm still Gavin Lazarus. <laughs>